The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. Well, yes, uh, this is a signal for a short sermon. A pulpit for a sermonette to produce Christianettes. All right, if you've got your copies of God's Word, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Now, if, you've, uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we're in our Sunday evening series looking at biographies, but not just any biographies. I kind of ask folks to kind of hang with me to look at some of the background characters. Uh, you know, you wouldn't understand Noah, 10th generation, without Enoch, 7th generation. So we took a look at Enoch and studied his life. You wouldn't understand David unless you understood that prophet Nathan. And so we took a look at Nathan. We're not looking at the headliners. We're looking at, uh, well, in movies they call them the, they call them the character actors. They're the people that are the sinews of the story. They're the people that connect some things and bring some meaning, uh, that, uh, highlight what those people that we're all familiar with, like the, like the Daniels and the Josephs and the Davids and the Pauls and the James and the John and Peter and all of them. But these are the guys behind the scenes. And tonight we look at one that connected across the board with a number of those headliners. Barnabas. Paul, Peter, and his name is Silas. Now, what do we know about him, and what can we know about him, and what is it that we can walk away and learn from him? Now, remember, biographies are in the Bible. There are 349 of them that, by one count, 67 finish strong, and we are told that everything in the Scripture is for our profit, all scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. Now, that would include these biographies. And God has put them there for a purpose. Number one is for us to see what God's grace does in the lives of men and women. And for us to also see the shortcomings. Because God's word is honest about everybody. It shows us not only their beauty marks, but their warts and their pimples. And we can see where they made mistakes in their walk with the Lord that we can learn from and where they were, by God's grace, able to do what was um, what was uh, appropriate and focused upon the Lord. Secondly, they point us to the history of redemption so that we see Christ at work in the meta narrative of the Bible through these smaller narratives in the Bible. And then thirdly, many of them are part of narratives that are what we call or what we call types of Christ, prophetic statements of Christ. They are pointing to Christ in a very significant way. And that's how we can grow, by looking at them, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and learning from them. 
That's why, the, and the Bible wants us to do that. I mean, even the negatives. Why does the Bible say, remember Lot's wife? Now, there's one to learn some negative lessons from. Why does, the, why does Paul say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Why do we have that Hall of Faith chapter, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, where these snippets of biographies are given to us? Of what we can learn and what we can see in their lives. So tonight, Silas, here's what I want to do. I want you to look with me at a couple of texts of scriptures. And then I'd like to string together some some thoughts from those passages around the basic three headings that I've already used with Enoch and with Nathan. His origin, his calling and his legacy. Look with me in some text. Go with me, first of all, to Acts chapter 15, where Silas appears on the pages of Scripture. Acts chapter 15, and if you would, slip back to verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Now, what are we talking about? Well, here's what's happened. You need to back up just for a moment. Let me put this in context for you. Paul and Barnabas have been on the first missionary journey with a man by the name of John Mark. John Mark, as they got up to Galatia, John Mark, quote, washed out. He left. He left even before they got into the work at Pamphylia. But when he comes back, it seems as if he starts giving some reports that concerns the Christians at Jerusalem. What exactly is Paul preaching? And so they sent off, they sent off some people with concerns about what Paul was preaching. And so what they decided to do was to solve this issue with a general assembly so that the various churches, local churches, sent representatives, commissioners of their elders to meet at Jerusalem for the first general assembly of the church. And they solved a couple of things, a couple of issues. Number one was this. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. You don't have to be circumcised. To be saved, you have to simply come to Christ, and Christ is your circumcision. Secondly, they taught the believers how do you deal with the Old Testament ceremonial laws as they are fulfilled in Christ. And then thirdly, they taught them now how should you be sensitive to the sensibilities of the Jewish people that you're reaching in the synagogues as the as the gospel message goes to the world, and how can believers, Jew and Gentile, together unite in the Lord? In other words, the apostles, now please listen to this carefully. Don't, don't say more than what I say. Don't say less than what I say, perhaps. But here, while the apostles would understand Jewish evangelism and would understand Gentile evangelism and how one you go to the marketplace, the other to the synagogue, one you realize this is, here's the sensibilities, here, the other one you realize those sensibilities as you do bring the gospel to those two basic entities of society. They wouldn't have had a Jewish church or a Gentile church. On the contrary, they would expect them to live as one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ. But they understood the sensibilities of Jewish evangelism and Gentile evangelism. So this council sends out a letter with exhortations. 
Well, a letter, I mean, you know, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have social media. They couldn't tweet it. They couldn't attach it to an email. They had to send some people out with it. And those people had to be of the caliber to be able to explain it. So what do they do? Now pick back up with me in chapter 15 and verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch. That was a key church outside of Jerusalem. Send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were the commissioners from Antioch. So they wanted to send men back with them. And who did they send? They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas. Who are these two men? They're leading men among the brothers with the following letter. And then they give the letter. I won't read the letter. Now, slip down, if you would, um, slip down, if you would, down to verse 36. And after some days and and after, um, I'm sorry, let me let me pick back up at verse 30. So they sent. And so after they delivered the letter at Antioch. They were sent off. Who's that? Barnabas and Paul will stay at Antioch. They are elders in that church. But they sent off Silas and Judas. So they were sent off. They went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its, its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets... Encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words, many words. That's that would be synonymous with a sermon (laughs) with many words. Why? Because Judas and Silas were not only leaders, they were preachers. And so they then, after the letters were given, they then did a number of sermons. And after they had spent some time, in other words, they had maybe some meetings, a week of meetings with them. They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So in other words, they were sent back to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, now sometime later after this, don't know how long, sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So now... Paul, after all of this is done, Paul comes to Barnabas. He's saying, no, Barnabas, you know that first missionary journey we went on? Let's not do that again. Now, what did they do on the first missionary journey? They did four things. They did gospel evangelism and discipleship. Remember? On mission. On message. Secondly, they did gospel church planting. Thirdly, they did gospel deeds of love and mercy. Fourthly, they developed gospel leaders in the churches. And so now he says, let's go do that again. And he said, but I want to add something else. Let's not only go back and do what we did. Let's go back and add something else. We'll do gospel evangelism and discipleship. We'll do gospel church planting and revitalization. We need to strengthen the churches we planted. We need to revitalize them. 
and gospel leaders and gospel deeds. Well, Barnabas says, great idea. You know, Barnabas must be one of those guys. It may be hard for him not to turn down an opportunity. There's a reason they changed his name to Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. And so he says, yeah, let's go do that. I'll go get my cousin, John Mark. You remember the guy we took the first time? Paul said, oh, no, we're not taking him. Why? Well, I'd suggest to you there's two reasons. Uh, there's two reasons he doesn't take him. One is obvious. He didn't stay the course the first time. Paul is always for developing leaders. But right now we're going behind enemy lines. I don't need possibility leaders. I need a proven leader. We're going behind enemy lines. In other words, I'm not getting an officer's platoon of potential leaders. I got to get the I got to get the Navy SEALs. I got to get the recon. I got to get the Marine Corps recon. I got to get the Air Force commandos. I got to get the Green Beret. I've got to get those who are tested and tried to go with me. We're going behind enemy lines. He's not there yet. I believe there's a second reason why. John Mark, it looks like, came back to Jerusalem from the work with a report that caused Paul and everyone a lot of trouble that could only be addressed by that general assembly. In other words, the trust factor probably wasn't there either. But if I'm going, I'll need someone I can trust. And he says, let me send back. Now, I don't know whether Silas had had time to get back to Jerusalem or not. He and Judas had been sent back to Jerusalem. But he calls for Silas to come and join him, which he does. So now you end up with two missionary teams. You got Paul and, and, um, and Silas going out. And you got John Mark and you've got Barnabas going out. Now, I propose to you to be able to deal with that. One of my character studies this fall is going to be John Mark. So we'll take a look at him and Barnabas later. But right now, I want to follow like Luke does, who writes Acts. I want to follow because now Luke doesn't give any more attention to Barnabas and John Mark in the book of Acts. He follows this team, Silas, and he follows Paul. And I want you to follow with me. What happens to them? But a couple of other passages of Scripture might be helpful. If you would, go on to with me in chapter 15, I mean to chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. So he picks up Timothy. So now you've got a team of three. A team of three that go out. Now, I know a lot of people say, you know, Pastor, you're just kind of skipping over this division. Um, Listen, I... I've tried to explain to you why I think Paul and Silas went one way and John, Mark and Barnabas went another way. I'm going to try to show you at the end that even with disagreements, they found a way to have unity. I'm going to try to show you that. And I want to try to show you that Silas was a piece of that. But, folks, that's just um, you see it happen. That's why a lot of times you pull into a city and see First and Second Baptist Church. And first and second Presbyterian church. (laughs) Or the guy that went out sailing one day and and the ship just carried him away. I mean, a storm carried his little boat away. And he landed on an uncharted island. And when he landed on the uncharted island, nobody came by that island. So he was there 30 years by himself. Nobody came by. 
Finally, one day a ship came by. They put out a boat and the boat landed. And the crew stepped off the boat and saw the man by himself. And they said, we, know, we didn't think anybody was here. He said, I know I've been here 30 years by myself. This is an uncharted island. I know I've been here 30 years by myself. And then all of a sudden, the guy in the boat looked at the, uh, the man and looked behind him, and there was three buildings. And he said, what is that building? He said, well, that's my home. I've been here 30 years. You've got to have a home. And he said, what's that building? He said, that's my church. I've been here 30 years. You've got to have a church. Well, what's the other building? Oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> so... So, folks, it happens in a broken world. But what's going to be interesting is what happens in the final analysis as we work our way through these 30-plus years that are represented in the book of Acts. So, look, if you would, I want you to go with me just to another couple of other passages of Scripture with me. I want you to go with me uh, and slip over with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see something else that, that uh, Paul writes about Silas. So if you'll go to your right, I'm trying to do this so it's accessible. If you want to use the Pew Bible, please feel free to do that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And then slip down in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to verse 19. Well, I'll start at verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom, notice the plural, whom we proclaimed among you. Who are the we? Paul, he's writing, Silas or Silvanus, and, that's another word for Silas, that's his formal name, Silvanus and Timothy and I. In other words, we preached Christ. Who preached Christ? Paul. Who preached Christ? Timothy. Who preached Christ? At Corinth? It was also Silas. And then if you would go with me to a passage that I know many of you are already anticipating because it was about the 46th sermon that we covered this in our 49 sermons on 1 Peter. So go with me to 1 Peter. Slip over to chapter 5. First Peter uh, chapter five. And when you get there to first Peter chapter five, uh, look down to verse 12. By again, formal name for Silas, Silvanus, first Peter 5:12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written. Briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. In other words, Peter writes this epistle, who is his Emmanuelis? Who is his secretary? Who is his, who is taking the letter for him? Silvanus, Silas. For who? Peter. How does that happen? So let me back up and try to give you a little bit about Silas's origin. We've got a man that appears for us first in the Bible in Acts chapter 15. And the first place we see him is Jerusalem. We are given no information about his father or his mother, nor of his place of birth. It may just as well have been Jerusalem for all we know. But he is there in the church 
at Jerusalem. He is well known. He is selected for his important task. He's preaching. He's leading. He's a part of the team of leaders there. He obviously is well acquainted with the apostles who are the elders of that church. Very well acquainted with Peter. And when this discussion comes about, and the church at Jerusalem holds this general assembly to solve this theological issue, when they're all done, he's such a leader and so trustworthy that they can entrust to him the letter to explain to the churches how and what they've done with this theological issue. He's not only trustworthy to deliver it, he is trustworthy to be able to explain it and, in fact, preach sermons to to, uh, explain it wherever he would take it. And so he goes up to Antioch. He gets to Antioch, and when he's there, he has some time of ministry there, and he's preaching there along with Judas and along with Paul and along with with, um, uh, Barnabas. And then he is sent back to Jerusalem. And so as far as we know, he gets all the way back to Jerusalem and gets back ensconced into his ministry there in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, a knock at the door and somebody comes and says, Paul needs you on his next missionary journey. Get up to Antioch. And so he is called to leave Jerusalem to go up and join the Apostle Paul in this second missionary journey, and he goes with him. He goes with the Apostle Paul, and he watches Paul as soon as he gets to a city. He's right with him as he goes into the synagogue to do evangelism. And then he's right with him in the city as he goes from the synagogue into the marketplace to evangelize the Gentiles. And then he is with him while they plant churches, and he is also with him while they're revitalizing the churches that he planted on the first missionary journey. And he's with him all through Galatia, that place that had been disturbed by what was going on in Jerusalem. And then as he is not only there with him, he makes his way all the way to the coast of the Aegean Sea. It's a place called Troas. Not only have they picked up Timothy in this ministry, so it's Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Now at Troas, they pick up another key person. Thank God for him. His name is Luke. They pick up Luke right there. And the Apostle Paul doesn't know where to go, but there comes to the Apostle Paul what is called the Macedonian call. Come on over, Paul, you and your team. Help us. And so Paul goes across the Aegean Sea, and now the gospel, less than 25 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, goes to Europe. And he lands in Europe. He stops off at a place called Samothrace, and then he goes to a place called Neapolis. He begins to do gospel ministry. And then he goes to a large royal colony. I had the privilege just a couple of months ago of standing right in the ruins of this place. And while he is there, he plants a church. It has an interesting, he and Silas begin to evangelize and disciple and Luke and Timothy. And there they're doing their work at Philippi. And as they're doing their work at Philippi, there's a slave girl who is filled with demons. And the apostle Paul 
cast the demons out and she is converted by the grace of God. He goes down to the river. There wasn't a synagogue. So any of the proselytes of Jewish proselytes would have met where there was running water for ritual cleansing. So he goes down to the riverside and there he meets Lydia and he shares the gospel and she and her household come to Christ. And this slave girl now demon possessed comes to Christ. And the owners of the slave girl have their have their uh, industry of sin ruined. They were making a lot of money off her. Y'all do know that, don't you? <laughs> sin roots into a culture. And one of the ways it roots is a lot of people make a lot of money. Whether it's pornography, abortion, whether it's sexual immorality, whatever it is. And so sin had rooted in. And when Paul had done his work, they don't give him a parade for having set this girl free from that demon possession. What they do is they assault him to beat him and bring charges against him. And then he is arrested and he and Silas are beaten with the Roman preferred way to beat, which was with rods. And they were beaten with rods and brought before the Bema. And they were, and there the judgment was pronounced upon them and they were thrown into jail. And you know what happened, don't you? God decided to deliver him out of that jail. And when he did, the Philippian jailer says, Oh my goodness, the earthquake, all the, the walls are down. And I've had the privilege to stand likely right where that jail was. That was an amazing thing to stand there and think of that. Think of that moment because if you lose your prisoners and you work for Rome, you're dead. So he pulls his sword to kill himself. Paul says, no, no. We're all here. You see, they had already started their prison ministry there. I don't know about, have you ever thought about that? You know, I'm so excited about the ministry, the prison ministries we have at Bibb County and St. Clair and Donaldson and, and down at Shelby County Jail and all of that. I'm so thankful for them. But, and I think God's blessing us. I still don't think we've got to the point that if an earthquake came and all the walls came down, that all the prisoners would just hang in there. I don't think we've gotten there yet. But somehow Paul's ministry had produced that. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And he and his household that very night in that very place are baptized as the word of the Lord comes to him. And the apostle says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. Now, you would think the apostle Paul would let good, let just kind of move on because that's what they said. They came and said, oh, well, let's let. And he said, no, no. And now we find out something else. You, he says this. You have dealt, you have dealt with us wrongly. We are Roman citizens. Did you hear what I said? We. Who is he referring to? Him and Silas. Maybe that's another reason he wanted Silas. He's a Roman citizen like Paul was. Now you say, well, why didn't he just move on? Well, folks, he's doing what a lot of your brothers and sisters are doing right now. Some of them are photographers. Some of them are bakers. Some of them are salesmen. Some of them. And the culture has brought the has brought upon them the pressure to be silent or lose their job. And they appeal to what? Something called the First Amendment. It's not so much. It, it's I think it's right to do that. Not so much because we're afraid to suffer for Christ's sake. 
But what Paul is doing, he'll do this three times. He will appeal to his rights as a Roman citizen. And two times it will be to his detriment. Why does he do it? He's carving something out for the next generation. The church in Rome. The church in the Roman Empire after him. And so he does it with Silas as they claim their rights as Roman citizens. And then, they're ca- then they leave Philippi and they go on to Thessalonica, Thessalonia. And there they begin to have a profitable ministry. But there um, they rise up and they take them to the theater. And there they begin to beat them again. And so Paul has to, they, they have Paul and they ask Paul to leave. So Paul and Silas and Timothy leave. And they go on down, and they go on down uh, to, um, they go down to uh, Berea. And so they arrive in Berea to do ministry there. And he says, oh, the Bereans are more noble minded than the Thessalonians, for they have received the word with eagerness, examining these scriptures to see if these things are so. The noble minded Bereans. Now, Luke's not with him. Luke, he left back at Philippi. But Silas is with him and Timothy is with him. And then. The people who brought the who brought the riot against him in Thessalonia track him down in in Berea, and again they tried to um, they tried to produce another riot. So this time Paul leaves, but this time he all he leaves back in Berea. Silas and Timothy. He goes all the way down to Athens, and there he does his. His glorious ministry in Athens. But he longs for Timothy. He longs for Silas. So he sent word to them. But they didn't get there in time to join him in Athens. But he went a little further south. And they joined him at a place called Corinth. And there they served with Paul for three years. At Car- I'm, I'm sorry, for 18 months at Corinth. They served the Lord together at Corinth. And it is there you hear of the great preaching of Paul and Timothy and Silas as they preach Jesus. Remember what I read in 2 Corinthians 1.19 when he refers to that 18-month ministry that they did. Well, as they come down, he's concerned. So he sends Silas back up for a, for a, for a temporary ministry at Thessalonia. And he sends, and he sends um, Timothy back up to assist Luke in Philippi. And then finally, all of them get back with him for this 18-month ministry in Corinth. And then they go with him as he makes his way uh, over to Ephesus. And then all the way back in the end of the second missionary journey comes to a conclusion. And here the and here Silas has been with him in life and in ministry, and he accompanies him on the second missionary journey and then the third missionary journey. And when the apostle Paul comes back, he then in Jerusalem, Silas, the only thing we can find out is he stays in Jerusalem as Paul goes on off and he'll have his imprisonments and his jails in Rome and eventually lose his life. Paul will forever think of Silas. Paul will forever think of how close they were. But now Silas is back in Jerusalem. And if he's back in Jerusalem, who is he with now? He's with Peter. And now as he's with Peter, he helps Peter write First Peter. And then 
it looks like he might even have been the one to take that letter of 1 Peter to the churches at Galatia. And if I know Silas, if he showed up with a letter, he likely spent some time preaching that letter to the churches of Galatia, what we call Turkey today. So that's just the overview. Now, let me just kind of give you just a couple of things to walk away with. So what do we know about him? Well, we don't know what he can. We do know this. He's a Roman citizen. We do know that he, he we first see him in Jerusalem. So likely he's from Jerusalem. Thirdly, there's one more thing we know about him. And that's it's interesting. He had a Roman name, Silvanus. He also had a nickname, Silas. What's interesting is Paul always refers to him in his epistles as Silvanus, never Silas. Luke, in the book of Acts, always refers to him as Silas. I think Paul is emphasizing one of his values. He's not only a Roman citizen, but he's a Roman. He's got a Roman name, and that becomes helpful for this apostle to the Gentiles. And then the, the other thing I want you to see is what was his calling? Well, here's what he was called to do. Number one, he was a leader in the church. Remember, we read that in Acts chapter 15. Silas was a leader. Number two, he was a preacher, a prophet. He spoke forth the truth of God's word. He was a leader. He was a prophet. Thirdly, he was a discipler. Remember, Paul left him behind at Berea because Paul had to leave, but he left. He left uh, he left Silas and Timothy behind to do some discipling in the church because he wasn't able to be there. And then he also sent him to Philippi to do some discipling back at the church at Philippi. There's one more thing. He's not only a leader. He's not only a discipler. He's not only a preacher. He is also number four. He is a secretary. He is able to support To some degree, Paul, as Paul writes his letters, and to a big degree, he becomes the primary secretary for Peter, as 1 Peter is written and taken to the Galatians. What is his legacy? Well, here's how we'll come to a conclusion tonight. What do you get from Silas? Well, here's a couple of things you get from Silas. Is that Silas was a man whom God had prepared in his providence. You do know this is a sovereign God who gives this man a Roman name as well as a nickname. Who gives him status in the church at Jerusalem. Which, by the way, the church at Jerusalem, some people had left that church and gone up to Galatia and claimed to be sent by that church and brought all kinds of confusion. And after the general assembly, they send one of their own up and say, he says to them, those people that came here claiming to be from Jerusalem, they were not. And here's a man who's trustworthy that can be, that can be believed. And then he's a man who can preach. And he can declare the truth of God's word. So here is a man who has, he is a preacher. He is trustworthy. He is a leader. And that's his legacy. Now, just let me say this, because some of you, if you get serious about Silas, you're going to find a little group of theologians who claim Silas wrote the book of Hebrews. He did not. 
Harry, how do you know he did not? Because I'm convinced Luke wrote the book of Hebrews, so he could not. But you go ahead and evaluate their arguments. I don't think their arguments are supportive enough. But that's the and if, in other words, they're saying if he's with two apostles and the apostles are overseeing him, then under their oversight, could he have written this epistle that bridges to Jew and Gentile? That's why they propose, they, they think that perhaps he might have been the one. I don't think that's true for a number of reasons, but that's what you'll run into. But he was a secretary. He was a preacher. He, but he was something else. And this is where I want to end. He wasn't a rabble rouser. He wasn't a man that for his own benefit could create friction. That's not what he did. When he left Jerusalem, he was able to work with Paul. And when he left and worked with Paul, I probably ought to go back and read this for you. Will you trust me? I'm not from the government. Trust me. He not only is able to work with Paul for two missionary journeys, but when he ends back up at Jerusalem with Peter... Having been with Paul, he's able to be with Peter, even though Paul and Peter had had disagreements. He was able to be with both of them. Never compromising truth, but always working with both. And when he has gone from Peter to be with Paul, from the church at Jerusalem to travel with Paul, and then after his ministry with Paul is over and he comes back to Jerusalem, he's able to work with Peter for one of the most profound epistles in your Bible. And that's first Peter. And who also is with Peter? John Mark. Trust me. Go read first Peter five. John Mark is with Peter. John Mark will end back up with Paul. But right now he's with Peter. Don't know what happened to Barnabas. But now John Mark is with Peter. And there is... There is Silas with Peter, having been with Paul. Now with John Mark, who Paul would not take with him. But instead of taking John Mark, who did he take? Silas. And the man who was taken in place of John Mark is now able to work on the team with John Mark and Peter. Every point that he could have, for his own advantage, created discord. He not only refused to do it, but he was a bridge builder. Peter to Paul. Paul back to Peter. In between, John Mark. That was the ministry of Silas. You know... Um, as some of you know, because of my background and growing up in Charlotte, and we all were in the same church, um, and because of my grandfather's role with the Graham team in the 48 to 52, uh, I got the chance to meet some amazing people. And we all know about uh, George Beverly Shea and Billy's ministry, and we all know about Billy, obviously. And we all know about uh, Cliff Barrows. But let me tell you some people you don't know. Let me tell you about T.W. Wilson. 
Let me tell you about Grady Wilson. Let me tell you about some of those men on that team that you never know. And they never wanted to be known. But they were always faithful. Always building bridges. Always helping the work of the gospel. There was loyalty that never transcended a commitment to Christ, but that honored his commitment to Christ. There was an ability to build bridges between people that very easily could have been divided. But they were able to make that kind of redemptive communication. Very few of us are going to be great monuments in the kingdom of God. But I think all of us can be bridge builders. All of us can be like Silas. Lord, where's my place? And part of my place is to connect those whom you're using. I not only want to be useful for how you're going to use them. I want to be useful in how they can work together. And I want to be part of that team. It is amazing how many of us might have that opportunity. Go find out about Silas. There's more to find out, but at least start where we started tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your word and to, uh, to see what you do in the lives of men and women in such wonderful, glorious ways and how you um, honor uh, yourself in their lives and how they honor you and how they honor each other. So, God, I I want to just simply say again, I do look forward and I'm grateful I've got eternity because there are so many of these people I want to talk to. But I also want to thank you for your word that gives us a head start so we can find out about them. And when we find out about them, we don't worship them. We worship you and we don't exalt them we exalt you because they wouldn't have done what they did apart from the grace of God and we rejoice in that because that same grace is available to us so God we rejoice in the grace that you send to us and then simply ask that from us would flow rivers of living water help us to be bridges of redeeming grace not only to the lost so that they can come to Christ but to one another, so that we can serve Christ together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.